Dr. Jillian Horton, host of MedLife with Dr. Horton on CMAJ Podcasts. I'm a general internist and associate chair of the Department of Internal Medicine and the director of the Alan Kloss Medical Humanities Program at the Max Rady College of Medicine in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Christine Sinsky, internist and vice president of professional satisfaction at the American Medical Association. Dr. Sinsky is an internationally recognized expert who has worked to improve opportunities for joy, purpose, and restoring meaning in work. She's a frequently invited lecturer on practice innovation, redesign, and physician satisfaction. And she's joining me today from the American Conference on Physician Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Sinsky, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, Jillian, it's my pleasure. So my first question, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself for all of our listeners to know who you are? Sure, happy to. So I also am a general internist. I have spent all of my professional career caring for patients in Dubuque, Iowa, a town of about 60,000 people along the Mississippi River. And for most of that time, I took care of my patients, both inpatient and outpatient. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do in your role for the American Medical Association as the Vice President of Professional Satisfaction? Right. So I'm happy to. Our mission is to improve the health and well-being of patients by improving the health and well-being of physicians and their practices. And a corollary of that is just what you had started with. I see it as our goal to help to create the conditions where joy, purpose, and meaning in work are possible for physicians and their staff. How was it that you first became interested in this particular area of medicine? Well, it was a long journey, I'll tell you, and it probably dates back to early days in my own practice, where I realized that I was starting to feel overwhelmed. And I took a moment to think through what is it that I find is valuable that I'm doing? What do I find uh, enjoyable to do? And what do my patients need from me? And it turned out those two things overlapped, what I enjoyed doing and what my patients needed, but it wasn't how I was spending my day. And so over a period of years, gradually changed some of the engineering of the work, the way work was organized and the way the work was distributed among the different team members to maximize the amount of time that I felt that I was spending on the things that only I could do and the things that brought my patients better health and brought me joy in my work. And you talk about doing that over a period of years. And so many of us, I think, when we begin to look at these issues as they manifest in our own practices, are often overwhelmed in terms of knowing where to start. So how did you figure that out, where to begin? Well, it took me time. And I can't say that I just immediately got um, a eureka insight and did something. I can remember standing at my pile of charts dictating the day's work, thinking, this would be better if I did X. It, this would be better if we did the labs ahead of the appointment. And it maybe took me a year to find the time to actually figure out how to implement that. Or another example was I realized that if we saw every patient the day they called in, we wouldn't be seeing any more patients than we were by seeing them two weeks after they called in, but we'd be giving them better care 
and I'd be spending less time apologizing for that delay. So it was a long time thinking and then finally getting the activation energy to try something and then to refine it. You know, what I'm really struck by as you tell that story is, first of all, the period of time that was required for those changes to manifest. And when we stop and look at what prevents our colleagues from making those same changes or going through those same processes, what do you think are the biggest psychological hurdles? Yeah, that's such a great question because what I've learned is it's really hard to imagine something you haven't experienced. And so it's hard to imagine a better way if you haven't experienced it or heard about it or seen it. So that's one barrier, I believe. And the other barrier is that it's hard to change while you're doing the work. And so the metaphor is often said, it's hard to fix the plane while you're flying at uh, 30,000 feet. It's really hard to discipline yourself to step back from the work to think about how to do the work better. And yet I believe if you spend an hour improving the workflow, you'll save hours and hours of time over the long run. And my hope is that most people don't have to start from scratch, that we can share the wisdom that's been collected from a number of innovative physicians so that people can start on the shoulders of people who've started down these roads ahead. So can you tell us a little bit about joy and practice and some of the particular studies that you've done in this area? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, one of the first studies was a, a study that we called In Search of Joy in Practice. And we did really go in search. And through connecting with a lot of leaders in healthcare, we were able to identify practices that sounded like they had promising practices. I interviewed them over the phone if that appeared to be the case, we arranged to do a site visit where we would actually see patients with those physicians. I would meet some patients in the waiting area, I would talk with them, and then I would shadow them through their experience at the clinic, and I would shadow the physician and other staff. And through that, we were able to collect some best practices from the field to improve efficiency and therefore leave room for joy leave room to have time to have a relationship with the patient. So one of the questions that I find myself thinking about listening to you is, is it possible to have joy in practice in the absence of efficiency? Well, so really, really good point. Because I think sometimes physicians have come to react to the term efficiency as something that's imposed upon them that somewhat oppresses them. And yet my experience of efficiency is exactly the opposite, that you need to eliminate some of the redundancy and some of the waste and some of the churning that's happening in the practice so that you have room for the meaningful, so that you have two more minutes to converse with a patient about what makes them tick or about a, a hobby that they have or to learn more about them or to feel like you're a better doctor because you took the time to look something up in, in up to date. And I found I as a doctor could do more of the things like that that I felt were signs of being a good doctor and restored me if I wasn't wasting time on prescription renewal work, if I wasn't encumbered by the inbox in our more modern day. Um, so that becoming efficient at some of those things left time for what was really valuable. 
The other thing that really jumps out at me as you speak, um, it reminds me of a quote in a recent New England Journal article about uh, interpersonal relationships and leadership in medicine. And the quote, which I found just so galvanizing, is that efficiency is actually a value judgment, isn't it? And as you speak now about some of the things that you value deeply, those few extra minutes with patience, it very, not necessarily the definition of efficiency that we think of that comes from healthcare organizations or hospital bodies or that type of thing. Right. So the quest for efficiency can be seen as a positive value, right? It's, it, it reflects my values to use my time wisely for my patients. And I can't do that if I'm working in a chaotic environment if all of my cognitive bandwidth is used up just trying to get situational awareness, like who's, who is this patient? What are their problems? What are their meds? What are their care gaps that need to be closed? If all of my brain power goes to that, then I'm not able to be the diagnostician that I'd like to be. I'm not able to generate the trust that I'd like to generate. So I, I do think efficiency is the pathway to value. I want to share with you a quote from William Osler, if you will. Um, So in 1893, William Osler said, medical care must be provided with utmost efficiency. To do less is a disservice to those we treat and an injustice to those we might have treated. So efficiency, it's how we can do the right thing for the patients in front of us, but it's also how we have the capacity to see those patients that otherwise wouldn't be able to see us. So um, I find that quote to be somewhat of a true north for me. I, I can see exactly what you mean. It forces us to think beyond just what's in front of us, that cognitive reframing that you talked about, what we might find that we were capable of. How can an individual physician listening to this podcast, what is the best way for them to begin to identify what it is that brings them joy in their own practices, in particular, if that individual recognizes that they may be suffering from burnout? How do they connect with what brings them joy? Well, I think, great question. I think one of the first things to do is just to have that self-reflection and that um, awareness that I am going through the motions, or I am feeling cynical toward my patients, or I'm feeling ineffective, or disconnected to the patient, that they're The patient has a difficult situation, but I'm not emotionally connected at all. And once you have that self-awareness, I think that's the beginning. And then I think it's worth some time at the end of each day. These were three good things that happened to me today. And to start to build in that gratitude practice, that will help to understand your own values and understand what does restore your uh, purpose. And then look at, well, what didn't bring me joy today? And is it something that I might have some agency to modify, to change? I can remember one day walking to the emergency room from my clinic to admit a patient. And my usual stance was, I've got so much to do, and now I've got to go see this patient and maybe some anxiety about being in a situation where I may be unaware of the right thing to do, right? Because patients come with all kinds of issues. And one day I was walking and I I had this complete frame shift and it was, I am going to help a patient. 
there is a patient in need. And when I come in the room, I am going to be part of their healing. I'm going to be part of their solution. I'm not the whole of it. It requires many of us, and I'll do my very best. But that reframing as I walked to the emergency room from, oh, this is a burden, to, oh, this is an opportunity to meet a patient in need, wow, that connected with my purpose. You know, that's why I went to medical school. And it, it was very helpful for me to not just say, oh, that EHR is going to be such a pain when I get there and doing the order entry is going to take all of my time and um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to, to have that other mindset. And, and I noticed that now walking to that emergency room would trigger that thought. And so to, to kind of mentally have that mindfulness exercise built into the steps of your day can be helpful. And I think that story is such a helpful reminder of the fact that we do have the capacity to create new circuitry around the core experiences of being a physician. Absolutely. And and I think we very easily sort of get into this negative internal narrative. Um, and there's plenty in the external environment that reinforces that negative narrative. And I think it's important for us to both work to change the external environment, but then also work to do what we can individually to interpret that differently. So you've spoken a bit about the concept of practice redesign. Could you talk just for a couple of minutes about what that what that is? Sure. So it's my hypothesis that most physicians in most practices and in most settings can save three to five hours a day by re-engineering the way the work is done and more strategically delegating work to team members. So that's a lot of time that we can use for other things. And it takes some effort. It's like an activation energy. You have to get over that activation energy hump to be able to come back to a, a better place. So I see practice redesign as intentionally looking at every step along the way of a process and then deciding, is that optimal or could we do it differently? Is every one of those steps adding value? Is it in the right order? Does it need to be done by the person who's currently doing it? And the rewards of that kind of analysis are really just dramatic. If we look at, again, thinking of who might be listening to a podcast like this and taking this message to heart, how does an individual physician who is not necessarily in a position of administrative seniority, or perhaps isn't even running their own clinic with that degree of autonomy, how does an individual in that type of role begin to initiate change in terms of practice efficiency? So I think that there are changes that have to happen at the system level, but there are changes that can happen at the individual level. And I don't just mean changes in our own attitude. Um, I think mindfulness is good, as we've just discussed. I think so mindfulness is good, self-care is good, but we really can change the workflow even in our own micro-environment. And so do you have an, a dedicated medical assistant that you can work with? If so, can you invest some time in how you work together so that you train yourselves to work better together? Can you meet for a half an hour at the close of the day to figure out how what went well today, what could have gone better? Can you solicit each other's input into how to make that day go better? 
you can start to renew all the prescriptions for a patient's chronic illnesses for 90 days and four refills on your own. You don't need a system support to do that. And by doing 90 days plus four, that gives patients a 15-month window. And that would prevent you from having to repeat that same work over and over again. But if you do like I did when I first started in practice and just write the prescription with number 30 with a random number of refills, well, I guess six, um, then that patient's going to have to contact you back. You may still see them, but you don't have to do the work of that prescription renewal for all of their medicines more than once a year. And so there are lots of efficiencies that you can start to watch for, even if you're not a leader within your practice. What do you think are some of the system level or national solutions that we should be prioritizing when it comes to increasing the satisfaction of physicians? So now we're talking about on the really macro level. What what would you say that we should be throwing the majority of our weight behind as, as physicians? So there are many targets for improvement at the national or international level. I would say one of them is regulation. And that may be quite different in Canada than the U.S., so I, I wouldn't presume to speak to what Canadians might benefit from, but certainly in the U.S., there's a lot of well-intended policy that's not evidence-based, and that is costing physicians a great deal of time, and is costing patients time with their physicians. There's some reason for hope. Our Medicare administration is making some changes to reduce administrative burden. Another high-level area, a priority area, is technology. I think we can start to do some studies on technology to identify whether technology is helping or hindering in our efficiency. Some things are built into our EHR workflows that were well-intended, but they're not helpful, such as only the physician can do this task and not a nurse. Well, we need to ask the question, is that an evidence-based decision? Or could we hypothesize that workflow would be more efficient if a different team member could do that particular task? So those are some of the things. There are many, many more. The final question I'll ask you, can you distill down to a couple of core pieces of advice that you would give to a practitioner who comes and sits across from you and says, you know, I don't really find joy in my practice anymore. I'm trying a gratitude practice. I All these efficiency issues, you've already told me they're going to take years to work on. I'm beginning the process. How do I reconnect with joy, both myself and within my colleague group? What would you tell that person? I would say, let's think about healthcare. And let's understand that all the forces around us are forces toward fragmentation and are built on an idea of healthcare being transactional. But let's claim our value. And our value is that we're about relationships. And when we prioritize relationships, I think all is better. I am a better diagnostician on the basis of a strong relationship with my patient. I am better at encouraging adherence to medication or to the treatment recommendations if it's based on relationship. And so what in my day am I doing that prioritizes relationship? And I think if we start thinking in that way as individuals, as mid-level leaders, as health system leaders, and as other stakeholders, we will get 
where we want to go. We will get to better care for individuals, better health for the population at lower cost while still taking care of the caregivers. That is a beautiful note for us to end on. Dr. Sinsky, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today here at the American Conference on Physician Health. Dr. Horton, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Christine Sinsky, internist and vice president of professional satisfaction at the American Medical Association. Send in your anonymous questions to MedLife with Dr. Horton, and we'll do our best to feature them in upcoming episodes. You can find a link to the Google Forms page in this episode's description. If you'd like to hear more podcasts in this series, MedLife with Dr. Horton, you can find them as part of CMAJ Podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating. This podcast was made possible in part by the support of the Alan Kloss Health Humanities Program at the University of Manitoba. I'm Dr. Jillian Horton. Thank you for listening.